Hey everyone, welcome to the 65th episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb. And man, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. I, I don't know. Like, do, do you want to talk about modern standard for a little bit? I, I feel like we have to at least touch on it. Obviously, we know what the big news is. Don't worry, everyone. We're getting there. It, um, it'll be in the title, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. The, it'll be spoiled by now. Uh, spoiler alert. Kind of a good theme for this week. But I do think we should probably check in with the tournaments that went on this past weekend before we get into the the meat of the show. Okay, fine. So SCG Dallas was modern. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of Magic Online results, including a standard PTQ. So mm-hmm. few interesting things. And no, I, I feel I feel like, you know, you want to brag a little bit. So I'll just let you have it. Yeah, don't you feel like we're super right all the time? Like maybe I'm biased because I'm on this cast. But I know that we sat here last week and we talked about how the white go wide strategies were underprepared for and kind of poised to break out. And if you look at the top eight of this Magic Online PTQ, they absolutely broke out. This was the coming out party for white go wide strategies. If you've been in the queues at all this week, you know that white go wide strategies are absolutely everywhere now. They've kind of risen to authoritatively claim the lion's share of the metagame. And we told you this was coming. We sat here last week and said exactly that. The results, you know, kind of bore that out this weekend. Yeah, my article before Memphis was about three different white go wide decks. And uh, I was like the SRAM one, white green, and the vampires. Right. And, and the, the, B- the BTU top eight was won by white green, although a very innovative take. And vampires was in there and also green white growing rights of Itlamok. Yeah, there's that card's first appearance. You know, a card that I was pretty high on at release time and I still think has some potential. I don't know about this list, but you can see that this was clearly the right time for these kind of white decks to rise to prominence. And like you said, the first place deck was very innovative, carrying a huge vehicles package, uh, three Sky Sovereign, which we haven't seen in a long time, as well as four Aether Sphere Harvester. So a big commitment to kind of that area of the metagame. I don't quite get this list. Maybe you can explain it to me. I don't know why this was the correct list for this tournament. And it very clearly was, you know, a very dominant performance and kind of something we haven't seen before. So it's not like there were large numbers of this deck in the tournament. Just this one copy kind of crushed it. Why? Can you tell me why? Dude, LiDAR is gas. That's just all it is. He's just a great player and he was destined to win. He top four the Magic Online Championships last year. So yeah, he's he's just very, very good, very good Japanese player and always has decks that are just like a little bit off the cuff. You know, like you look at his mana base and it's like, okay, yeah, he's got the one Tranquil Expanse. He has an extra land compared to most other people. He's playing the Servo ex- Exhibitions that like everyone else is playing. But he was just like, yeah, like Blue Black Control is out there and Adano Vanguard is just not the sticky threat that it used to be. So he just went looking elsewhere and he just decided to play a bunch of vehicles. And uh, Sky Sovereign was a card that I was kind of questioning because like, you know, it gets Rekindling Phoenix out of the way. It's a big thing that blocks Glorybringer. It like pressures Chandra. It's just like really big and not not a lot of things deal with it. It's not one of those cards that you can necessarily point to and or a card where you can point at certain matchups and you're like, oh, this just crushes that matchup or whatever. I think it's just a good card. And I think people have just kind of been sleeping on it, like you said. 
Well, I think uh, to a large extent, it was held down by a breed. Grixis, Energy, as well as Mono Red were the absolute pillars of the metagame for a long time. And if you look at this tournament, this is definitely a huge downswing for those two decks. So if there was ever a time for the large vehicles package to come into play, this was probably the right tournament for it. And I don't quite like how Sky Sovereign lines up with you know, something like Vraska's Contempt, it's okay. Um, it's not quite as impactful as something like Glorybringer, but obviously these colors don't have access to Glorybringer. So this is kind of what they're forced to use. And, you know, there is some play to it as well. You don't have to expose it to Vraska's Contempt. You can play very carefully and put your opponent into complicated spots. And, you know, a great player like LiDAR probably was able to do exactly that and therefore find success. Yeah, and another thing about like a braid decks just being a smaller part of the metagame basically is like even coming into last weekend, the decks that could play a braid have started dropping them a little bit, you know, it's just like, Oh, there's not a lot of like right. God Pharaoh's gifts. And most of the Aether Sphere harvesters are in the sideboard and everything. So we can just sideboard four copies and it'll be fine. And I think they all just got punished, but also like, yeah, I mean, there, there are no red aggro decks in top eight. Yep. Just gone. Uh, out of this metagame. Really nice cyclical metagame, by the way. I just want to comment on that after having some very static metagames for the last few standards. It's really nice to see the evolutions happening throughout this format and kind of a new best deck rising to prominence each and every week, the way standard should be. This is the standard I know and love and remember and have missed for quite some time now. Yeah, I agree completely. And I, I can only imagine like how good this standard actually would have been if, you know, how many cards are on the ban list, like 10 or something? Right. Like, and like, the, like those were all constructed shots. Like imagine if there were 10 other like cool cards that were also relatively flat power level, you know, like the standard would be rad because it does feel like a lot of decks and, uh, you know, some colors like green are just like missing various things. Right. I, I feel like this standard, at least like this era is going to be very poorly remembered, even though like this standard specifically is very good. But like, I mean, Dominaria is going to change that. I think Dominaria is just like one of the best sets. I'm very excited about Dominaria, but we can't go there yet. I know, I, I know. We have Modern first. We have to pump the brakes. Modern first. One more thing to talk about. One more chance for us to brag about maybe being, you know, out in front of the game a little bit. One by Ponza, a deck that when Bloodbraid Elf was unbanned, we discussed as possibly gaining more than any other deck in the format. And here it is taking a big finish. One of the first big uh, post-unbanned tournaments and Ponza carries the day the red green land destruction classic archetype gets a win that i mean it's been a long time since ponza took down a big tournament oh yeah i i think it just like fundamentally changes the deck like before it was like all right i have to lock you out and then like which giant idiot do i try and kill you with right and generally like the clock was a little bit too slow and you know things like storm breath dragon and inferno titan uh some people were playing like madcap experiment into platinum imperium it's just like those things give your opponent like way too much time to actually recover from the initial disruption but now that you have like blood braid elf and tireless tracker and your your curve is just a lot lower chandra helps a lot too i mean like these decks are actually just really good now and it's right. it's no longer like oh yeah like if they're playing tron then you you play this land destruction deck it's like no this is just like a legit good modern deck Exactly right. This was a gimmick deck before. This is a good deck now. You know, look at the kind of fair game it's capable of playing um, with the, you know, four tireless trackers, two Pia and Kieran, a Corsair of Crufix. I really like that package as enabling just kind of like this grindy, fairish deck that still can just completely shut you out of the game. It's kind of what a 
mid-range modern deck should look like. It's very hard to just kind of rest on your laurels when the format is diverse as it is. Um, and this deck is able to play a lot of different game plans, a very proactive start with the turn one, or excuse me, the turn two blood moons that this deck can often produce. I really like this strategy. I am unsurprised to see it find success. I wonder if Andrew Wolbers is a game podcast listener and we inspired him. I, I guess we can't take credit until no, we know that for no. sure. But I, I, say I doubt it. That we call I, you doubt it. Uh, so, well, I don't know if he listens to the podcast, but like I, he's, he's played the deck for a while. Like he's, okay. I, I played against him at the Las Vegas Invitational a few years ago and he was playing Tron and like, he's a Minnesota guy. I see him at a bunch of tournaments. Like it wouldn't surprise me if he listens to the podcast, but like he, he knows his stuff. Okay. We don't get any credit. That's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with sharing the credit. I just want to say that we identified this as a, a very strong archetype. I am unsurprised to see it find success. This may be just a part of the format going forward. It really wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. I, I think it is just another good deck and I've played against it a bunch on magic online already, you know, and like that was before the open even. All right. And it's only going to tick up from here. And and this is a very nice build. Make no mistake about it. I, I really like a lot of what's going on here. The one card which gave me a little pause is the Nissa voice of Zendikar. But that's just, you know, a, a quick surface evaluation where I'm like, well, I'm not really sure if that fits. But I'm nitpicking now. I think this is a really great and well-built deck. And I'm excited to see what it does going forward. Yeah. you The, the sickest thing is actually uh, Chandra plus Corsair of Crufix. Yeah. That's a cool little combo, right? Yeah. I mean, not not only do you know exactly what's going to happen, but it just like it it digs you even deeper to hit a land off Corsair. It's just it was it kind of just like worked me over when I was playing Black Green Midrange. Right, and that's not going to come up too often with the the numbers here, but that is a definitely cool synergy that I really like. No, I, I mean I've seen lists with like varying numbers of those cards, like a couple Corsairs right. and like three Chandras and stuff. So uh, this this deck is good. I was so I think things came full circle for me. I was. Uh, I, w- I went through like a list of decks and I think I circled back on Mardu for this weekend for Grand Prix Phoenix. But yeah, now after talking about it, it's like, man, maybe I should just play this Ponza deck. Like, I think you should give it a look. This is kind of, you know, if we're right and this is just a contender, this might be the coming out party and you might get to say you were there for it, you know, an early adapter and, and just riding the next wave of modern you know, it's kind of a scary weekend to play some Tron. I will say that, despite the fact that I still love spamming Karn emotes at everyone in our Discord <laughs> chat. But Dude, Tron seeing got, this deck gets success, a little scary. Tron got beat pretty bad last week. Like, look at all the storm all over the place. Like, Right. In fact, like a bunch of really scary decks if you're the Tron player going into this top eight. So... I don't know. Maybe the winds are changing, but that's the way that's the way modern rolls. Things are kind of they move in waves, strange waves where decks metagame percentages ebb and flow kind of slowly. Right. And so it wouldn't be surprising if it's time for Tron to ebb a little bit, especially given this result. Yeah, I mean we're like if you look at the top thirty-two from SCG Dallas, it very much looks like, oh, this is kind of back to like the, the turn three-ish type of format. It's like people are playing Storm, they're playing Infect, they're playing these decks that just get under Tron, which basically were not present at the Pro Tour. And I, you know, I think humans being a good default deck and humans typically being good against those sorts of decks was part of the reason. But now it's just like, okay, like the metagame is in like this very specific place. What is the best way to actually combat this? And yeah, like I said, I went through a bunch of different stuff and it's like, ah, maybe I can just like tune Mardu to to do it and i i don't think like birds of paradise into stone rain is great but it's like hey he beat storm in the finals you know 
Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be very, I'll be watching with bated breath to see what happens in Phoenix this weekend. It, it's going to be a hard tournament to predict. You could see kind of why the turn three deck showed up there, right? When like the entire focus of the format, everyone's eyes are turned to turn four. We're all about how do you maximize Bloodbraid Elf? How do you maximize Jace? In some cases, it's playing on turn three, but you could see exactly why you want to be a turn three you know, turn 3.5-ish deck in the face of the unbanning of Bloodbraid Elf and Jace. Like, it's kind of easy prey. Yeah, absolutely. The The winner's metagame went exactly where I thought it would post-unbanning. So that does make sense, but it's just like, now how do I break it? How do I re-break it? Yeah, interesting times for Modern. I, it's kind of the format that I want to play more than anything else right now, which is not something I thought I'd be saying. If, if you asked me six months ago if I would ever be saying that, I would say absolutely not. Yeah, but, man. Same. It's great. Modern's great. All right. Well, we, we wasted 13 minutes on standard modern. Can we talk about, uh, you know, Karn, Scion of Urza? Uh, we can talk about all of these amazing, amazing Dominaria cards. Um, you know, I'm, I'm heartbroken for the people at Wizards who I'm sure had a great spoiler plan and, and a whole great spoiler season set up for us and kind of had to adjust on the fly. But I'm really excited about these cards and I'm really happy we get to talk about them a little bit early. So, you know, a little bit of a win-lose, but we'll take advantage of it, I guess. Yeah, I think it is mostly lose because there's 140 cards. There's like all these rad sweet things like you have these planeswalkers two two of which have not had planeswalker cards but are very iconic characters and then uh you know your your homie karn you have the the sagas which are sick you have legendary sorceries you have a bunch of different legends period you have a bunch of like sweet old callbacks like my homie thorn elemental you know mm-hmm. like there's there is so much rad stuff going on in this set so uh, I, I honestly don't know the best way to tackle it. I think what we're just going to do is go card to card like very quickly, but. Yeah, I think that's our plan. And it wouldn't surprise me if we fail miserably and get too wrapped up in individual cards yeah. um, and maybe have to stretch this in two parts or, or something like that, because there's such, just so much exciting stuff here that I want to talk a lot about. Um, and also just like so far, I, you know, I'm not a huge flavor guy, but this is a definite flavor win for me. Great callbacks all over the place and just really exciting stuff. Yes, agreed. Yeah, this is also really tough since it's a lot of cards and I assume people have not memorized the cards and... I guess I just have to spend time reading off the text of them. That kind of makes sense. I think so. I think so. It, it's <laughs> There's a lot of things stacking against us getting through a ton of the spoiler, but hopefully people will appreciate this, the part we can get through and we can always come back for next week. So, All right, Karn. Uh, legendary Planeswalker plus one. Reveal the top two cards in your library. An opponent chooses one of them. Put that card into your hand and exile the other with a silver counter on it. Minus one. Put a card you own with a silver counter on it from exile to your hand. Minus two, create a zero, zero artifact creature with this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact. So at minimum a one, one, and it starts with five loyalty. Go. I think this card is a little overhyped right now. I I think the plus one is, or yeah, the plus one is a little bit worse than people are anticipating. You're forgetting how damning it is for your opponent to get the choice of the two cards. Now, granted, he starts with a very high loyalty, but I, I don't think there's a fear with Karn, right? As being a four mana Planeswalker, well, it's just, just a four of in every deck. Absolutely not. I think Karn will be maximized in builds which take advantage of his minus two. The deck that screams to me, 
Karn just gave us a huge upgrade, black white tokens. I think it's a tremendous, tremendous upgrade for that deck. You know, they can adapt treasure map. They already have the servos from hidden stockpile where they're really getting a lot out of Karn's minus two. And they also benefit from having a late game source of card advantage, enabling them to play those grindy games. So is Karn a player in the metagame going forward? 100%. But little bit overhyped right now, given the reactions I'm seeing. He will benefit from decks that are built around an ability to maximize him, and less so just a catch-all for the format, uh, not an auto-include by any means. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that Karn is very good. Agreed. I definitely agree with you, where it's like, it's not going to be a four of in every deck, because not every deck wants, like, this thing that's, like, spitting out one ones and, like, drawing basically bad cards. But the one thing that strikes me is that you can, like, Karn plus one a couple times, maybe Karn dies somehow, and then, like, your next Karn you can just play and immediately get a card that you want because it, it doesn't key off, like, you know, itself. It doesn't, like, go under the card, right? It's just exiled with a counter, and I think yes. that's rad. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge change from kind of old templatings of this style of card. Even old Karn, you know, it works very differently from old Karn. Right. And it's a huge, huge upgrade. You know, your first Karn kind of just draws you a couple of bad cards and, and buys you a little time. Your second Karn is like Demonic Tutor and gets you absolutely whatever you need. So that's kind of a huge upgrade. And again, speaks in favor around your deck maximizing Karn. You really want to be a four Karn deck. So you have to kind of be all in on everything he offers, not just the card draw. And that's why I, I think he's going to be an absolute build around, uh, an absolute player in the metagame. But he will focus on specialized decks for sure. Okay. Uh, the other thing is that like, yeah, you're getting a bad card, but what does that necessarily mean? Like you can reveal two spells and then you're definitely getting a spell. If you're stuck on lands and they're giving you spells, like that's probably okay. And otherwise, you know, you're probably just getting a land off it, which it, like if it's four mana plus one draw land, like that is not bad, especially if you have like ways to actually use the extra piece of cardboard, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you have to think about the card in context, right? Where Vraska's Contempt is one of the most played spells in the format. How do you feel if you plus one to Vraska's Contempt? Medium. You know, it, it's not like the, it's not the same effect of minusing a Chandra or, or something like that, but definitely you're still okay with the transaction in, in most cases. So, that, so that's a good plus for Karn. Yeah. All right. Next one. Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. 3W, Legendary Planeswalker, plus one draw card at the beginning of the next end step, untap two lands. That's just such a weird plus one. Minus three, put target non-land permanent into its owner's library third from the top. Minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent and opponent controls and starts with four. So uh, this is just very similar to Obnixilis type of stuff. Yeah, I think this is kind of the most boring of the Planeswalkers because it's just like obviously fine. It's very much going to see play. It's a fine effect for decks. You know, any blue-white control deck probably has one or two of these somewhere in the 75. Uh, maybe it proves to be even better than that. I'm not quite sure. It's a little bit narrow, but it's just fine. It's, it's a very straightforward Planeswalker. I see it as kind of a classic Planeswalker, especially in these colors. Um, so I don't have a ton to say. The plus one is a little weird. I like it though. Um, in the context of essence scatter format, it's really cool. You know, maybe this pushes main deck negates to show up a little bit, um, in the blue white control decks, hard to say, but I, I like its flexibility and it's just like a straightforward, powerful planeswalker. Very, very classic design. No, it is, it is really cool that you can play this plus one it and then still have a, like a counter spell open to stop their glory bringer or whatever. 
if you get to untap with it, you also get to like plus one potentially into a spell, cast it, and then still have mana up to like Doomblade or something. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's a little bit different, but it is kind of just more of the same. I think so. I, I think it's it's a straightforward design, which is fine. I, I mean, there should be some callbacks to just kind of classic Planeswalkers. This feels the most Planeswalkery out of the three we've seen so far. And if they prove to be the only three, you know, all the Planeswalkers in the set. But I, I like its vibe, and I think it'll be a, a fine inclusion for the format. Word. Jai Ballard, 2RR, Legendary Planeswalker, plus one, add RRR. Spend this mana only to cast instants or sorceries. Plus one, discard up to three cards, then draw that many cards. Minus eight, you get an emblem with. You may cast instant and sorcery cards from your graveyard if a card cast this way would be put into your graveyard exile instead, and it starts at five loyalty. What do you think about Jaya? Jaya is the weird one, right? Yeah, this is the weirdest one. I just want to hop in real quick and correct you. You said two RR. It's actually two RRR. Oh, my bad. Yeah, five total. Um, Five total. Right, five total. This is the hardest one to evaluate. I think that the second plus one is probably way more powerful than we're expecting. You know, you you kind of expect your plus ones to give you card advantage, which this does not do whatsoever. But this is a huge piece of filtering, huge piece of filtering. So any flood you've had throughout the game where you've now gotten to the point where you get to play Jaya uh, and you get to plus one, you've replaced your three lands, which are rotting in your hand with, I guess on average, probably like 2.2 spells or something like that. That's a pretty dramatic upgrade. I think this is good enough. I don't know what the decks look like that are playing Jaya. You know, is there like a black red mid range deck that really appreciates Jaya? I think so. Again, I think we should consider the Vraska's Contempt test. Doesn't look great in the face of Vraska's Contempt. That's a little bit problematic for me. But does seem like the emblem should be game winning. It does seem like it's adding kind of another wrinkle to, you know, a, a mid-range style of deck, which they, they don't really have. And and obviously we've seen the value in something like uh, a Chandra plus to get two mana and then play a removal spell. Yeah. Now we're getting a little bit more mana. Maybe we're getting a sweeper plus one play sweltering suns seems pretty nice to me in a lot of situations. So Jai is the hardest to evaluate. I do think it's playable. It's probably less format defining than the other two cards, but is a very nice niche role player for some mid-range decks. Yeah, I definitely agree with basically everything you said. Uh, The second plus one is fairly reminiscent of Chandra Flamecaller, and that one, you got an extra card. Obviously, that's a, a big deal, but it also costs one more mana, and... One of the main things people are going to criticize Jaya for is that she doesn't protect herself, but I would argue that the first plus one kind of does that same thing like you were talking about with Chandra Torture Defiance, where you play Chandra, add two mana, and like a braid or harness lightning their thing, and now you have this Planeswalker that's sitting on five loyalty and is very difficult to kill. Six loyalty. Six loyalty. Well, Chandra would be on five, and then, yeah. Right, right, I'm sorry. Jaya's on six. So, yeah, man, I I don't know. I, I feel like... Jaya is a card that I want to build around. It is not immediately obvious where she fits, but I do agree that it's like in some mid-range or like big red-ish type thing. And I, those those decks always appeal to me way more than they should. Because I I, I don't think I've ever played them in a tournament, but it's always like, ooh, like I'll play this on Moto or whatever. Yep, I always mess with them and then ultimately determine they're not quite good enough in most instances. But, you know, you could see a world where that's just the best thing to be doing and... I I have a feeling Jaya will be part of that if that proves to be true. Yeah. Uh, I see Manipulator, cool reprints. Uh, Also, very likely pretty good in standard. 
Wow, that's a bold take. I I actually had just written off Icy Manipulator as kind of you know a draft all star. Um, I hadn't really considered its applications in standard. Why do you feel like it might be a fine inclusion? Uh, basically, just because like the support around it is really good. Like obviously, there's some good artifact support here, including Karn. But it's like you have Renegade Map, Treasure Map, like all the various like Thopter thingies, and those decks were missing like a good defensive tool. And I think this could be it. Like I don't know. Metalwork Colossus. Metalwork Colossus comes to uh, mind. Nah, like, I don't know. Colossus is too weird. I'm, I'm thinking more of like Marionette Master type stuff. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I'll be honest. I hadn't really parsed out the uses of IC Manipulator for Constructed. So I'm just going to let your opinion ride and say it's worth exploring. It's just good against a lot of the threats. Like there's Glorybringers and Phoenixes and Hazarets and stuff. Like obviously it's not ideal against Hazaret, but like pretty low upkeep to deal with like their five mana threat, you know? Right. And also I would note that there may be some potentially explosive artifact mana in this set, which is uh, another huge plus for that style of deck and for Icy Manipulator in general. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, the first saga card, Phyrexian Scriptures, 2BB, Enchantment. As this saga enters and after your draw step, enters the battlefield, I guess, and after your draw step, add a lore counter, sacrifice after three. So you ETB do one. Next turn, your draw step, you do two. And then next turn, your draw step, you do three and sack it. Correct? That is my understanding. The, the wording is strange. It, it does say, and I believe this is the final printed version of the card, which says, as the saga enters and not enters the battlefield, which is weird. Is, is that true on like any of these other cards? No, they all say like battlefield. I don't know. Maybe it was, it was short on words. Anyway, uh, scriptures 2BB. Uh, act one is put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature. That creature becomes an artifact in addition to its other types. Two is destroy all non-artifact creatures. Three is exile all cards from all opponents' graveyards. So I think this card type is super interesting. I, I'm really into this. And it does one of the things that I demand of, of new card types from a design perspective. And I've talked about this a little bit on you know my other podcast, First Strike, but maybe this is the first time I've mentioned it here. I'm a huge believer in the fact that when Richard Garfield created Magic, not only did he create an amazing game, he created an amazing language. And that it's kind of the duty of all future designers to preserve that language. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, is you have to always derive your new mechanics from the tenets that Richard Garfield created. And when you stray from that, I find it problematic. The most recent example of straying from, from that for me is energy counters. Yep. I think energy counters are just kind of this new thing. They're not calling back to the language that Richard Garfield created. And I have a huge problem with that in terms of it creates complexity creep, which lasts throughout the history of the game. You know, theoretically throughout the history of the game now, you should have probably energy counters with you because you may have to track it. Who knows? And I don't like that. But this is a really great application of the original language of Alpha Beta Unlimited, and it's doing something new. And while I don't find Phyrexian scriptures super exciting, I, I don't know if it's something you have to build around or if it's just like supposed to be a damnation with suspend one in a format where there's not a lot of artifact creatures or if it's just damnation suspend one with huge upside because you're able to, you know, keep your glint sleeve siphoner alive, which is the first creature that springs to my mind that really benefits from, you know, sticking around in play with something like Phyrexian scriptures. 
I don't know. I don't know what to do with this card yet, but I love this design and I'm super interested to explore. The number three here, the exile all cards from opponent's graveyards. Strange. That's a strange inclusion, but it's supposed to, I guess, just be like creatures are gone. They're not coming back from the graveyard. They're not doing anything. They're just out of here. I don't expect to see them back. In terms of constructed, I'm a little bit lower on Phyrexian scriptures, but I love the card and I think it's super interesting. I think Phyrexian scriptures is supposed to tell a story with Fall of the Thran. Okay. Do you want to talk about Fall of the Thran while we're... Yeah, sure. I mean, I I also want to talk about scriptures too, but Fall of the Thran is five dub uh, saga. The first one is destroy all lands. Two and three is each player returns two land cards from their graveyard to the battlefield. So it's like you play scriptures... And then this this has something to do with this story. I read this somewhere. I don't know. I saw that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So just like you you get in them, and then the scriptures goes off on the next turn, and you exile their lands, and then you get your lands back. So pretty janky interaction for constructed purposes. But I see what you're saying. They're supposed to tell a combined story that captures this important part of Dominaria's lore. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it could also be that like scriptures is powerful enough with just one and two. So. Damnation with Suspend, it's kind of like Plague Wind-ish with Suspend. You get a little bit of a bonus with the counter and destroy all non-artifact creatures. Well, I mean, if you you have a card deck, like you could also play this, right? You just have a bunch of artifact stuff and it's just right. like one-sided. And then, you know, they give your opponents a chance to interact with it with like Disenchants and stuff. And then the third one is kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like, I, I just Plague Winded you. Like, who cares what this does? Like, this does not need another thing to be constructed. And I guess this is a mythic. Right, this is a mythic because we've we've actually we've seen the actual printed version of this card, one of the few actual printed versions we've seen. So, oh, this is the actual version. Oh, that's rad. Yes, 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 it is. This is from the the wizard spoiler. Oh, wild. Okay, cool. Anything else? Moving on. Let's move on. I mean, I think we could talk about the card type uh, at length. I, I think maybe like sagas are supposed to be played together, kind of the way you're talking about, where you create this kind of snowballing board presence. It's it's a very difficult card type to evaluate, uh, and I'm not even going to try to say how good they are because I think this is the type of card that demands play in the same way that when like we first saw Planeswalkers, it was just kind of like a little bit difficult to wrap your head around. This isn't quite on this level, but I do think it demands the same kind of testing, and you have to reach a level of comfortableness with this style of card before you can truly evaluate it. So I'm reserving all judgment at this point. I'll, I'll just say I love the design, and I think it's super interesting. I think they're going to play out like quick burst planeswalkers you know it's like you play it get a small effect from it next turn you get another effect next turn you get something and then it's just gone and it's like sort of easier to interact with because it's enchantment there's a lot of things that say destroy target enchantment especially cards that you could main deck like thrashing brontodon for example but in another way like they, they can't be attacked right so like you can just play this like against a board with three creatures and then kill all their creatures next turn. So yeah, it is, it is very interesting, but I think that they're going to occupy a lot of the same space. And I think that a lot of them look pretty good and that they will almost certainly see play in standard. Uh, and then it's just going to like feel very different, right? Because like, instead of like playing creatures or playing planeswalkers and killing their stuff, you're just like playing out these enchantments and kind of like doing weird things to what's going on in the battlefield. Right. That's a good way of expressing it. Actually. It, it's about feel. And I, I can't tell you how these are going to feel until I play games with them. They, they are going to feel very different and unlike anything we've used before. So that's cool. I'm really excited about that. Word. Okay, so this is uh, the cycle of legendary sorceries. We have Urza's Ruinous Blast, 4-dub, legendary sorcery. You may cast a legendary sorcery only if you control a legendary creature or planeswalker. 
and is exile all non-land permanents that aren't legendary. So four dub, yeah, kill all non-land permanents that aren't legendary. So if your deck is all legends, it could potentially be Plague Wind, but this set has a bunch of legends. So likely won't be, but maybe in certain metagames. Yeah, again, hard cards to evaluate. You know, the cost of loading your deck with legends some legends are going to be better than others. So there's 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 a notable cost from playing four of a particular legend, especially when they're cheap legends and kind of like want to curve out and play multiples of a card. Well, you can't do that with your Samaru, right? It doesn't work that way. So I don't know how widely included these cards are going to be because in general, when we build constructed decks, we ask for consistency. There's this weird tension that you have to endure if you're going to ensure consistency in your decks that are playing legendary sorcery. And that's that you're inviting inconsistency via the, you know, drawing multiple copies of your legendary cards. So where are these ultimately going to fall? I don't know, but I will say that I think the likelihood of Urza's Ruinous Blast seeing widespread play, at least in this standard format, seems not that likely given that we're focusing on legendary cards for the time being. Yeah, I mean, it could also just be a sideboard card. Right, right. That's a a fairly obvious op- application that could certainly, you know, if there's a good white legends deck, that's definitely a, going to be a a large piece of their sideboard plans. Yeah. Uh, next, Karn's Temporal Sundering for UU Legendary Sorcery. Target player takes an extra turn after this one. Return up to tar- one target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Exile this. So exile is to prevent recursion. Uh, it's time walk bounce a permanent. What the hell? Don't know what to make of that. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like what you want stapled on to your time walk. It's it's a little strange. I'm trying to think of like instances where you can bounce your own permanence and benefit from it, and and that's what you're supposed to be doing with it. Something like sagas, you could see getting you know multiple saga activations across a few turns. Yep, maybe that's a thing. But yeah, this is a weird one. Generally, time warps at six. They can be playable. Uh, you look at something like Part the Water Veil. It's something that I remember testing for Battle for Zendikar's Pro Tour. We worked really hard in, in finding a good Part the Water Veil deck. It never quite made it to the forefront of the format, but there were like, uh, what was it, Crash of Tentacles? And Yeah, and then you ended up playing like an Atarka Red deck, which like... I did. Well, I did. Green Red Landfall, but still. Yeah, so you kind of see why we backed away from the uh, part of the Water Rail deck when we were aware of the presence of the Landfall deck. But anyway, you know, six mana, time walk, possibly good enough for Constructed, but hasn't really come to fruition as of yet. So I don't I don't know what this is going to do. Yeah, you typically only see it in Ramp Shells and like maybe like some weirdo combo deck, but those generally have like Ramp things too, so... Uh, if you're talking about like fast artifact mana and metalwork colossus, like yeah, maybe maybe this is a thing. The hour of promise decks would maybe play something like this too, even though like they currently don't have a lot going on with it. But even like you're saying, like if if they end up playing sagas and you get to rebounce your saga and then re-trigger all your sagas that you keep in play, like that's obviously very good. It also gives you another turn with things like treasures map, treasure map, and Azor's gateway. There are upsides to getting an additional untap step too. Conveniently, um, oh no, this actually doesn't do that. I was going to say Azor's Gateway would let you cast Karn's Temporal Sundering, but it asks for a legendary creature or planeswalker. Right. Which from a flavor perspective I get, but I think it's a little unintuitive. Like I, I just almost got it wrong. So obviously to me, it was a little unintuitive. I don't know. Is that just me or would you expect it basically any legendary permanent to allow you to cast it? 
yeah, I was, I mean, it is also kind of weird to go from like Ixalan into this where it's like, oh, here's a bunch of legendary lands and here's a bunch of stuff that cares about legends, but like, you know, not those cool lands that we just made. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. It's a little weird. It's fine though. I mean, it. I, I think it focusing on creatures and planeswalkers makes way more sense. Okay. But yeah, it is just kind of weird that the blocks are back to back or the sets. Right, right. Anyway, yeah, time warp could be sweet. Next one is Jaya's Immolating Inferno, XRR Legendary Sorcery. This deals X damage to each of up to three targets. I'm not super excited about this card. Really? I, I think these kind of yeah, I think what? these proved to generally not be good enough. I, I don't you need three targets. Like there has to be three things you want to kill. You have to have your legend on board. I think this depends a lot on the texture of the format because you know, the bodies are kind of big right now in a lot of instances. I mean, I don't know. I guess if go wide keeps becoming a thing, then you're... Well, e- even you're, uh, against, like, Sram's expertise, like, obviously, obviously this card is not very good, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, I you scroll down to the bottom and there's, like, 15 legends, right? Pres- or 17, I guess. Presumably, people are going to want to put these cards in their decks. Yeah, I don't know. I feel, I feel like the format is possibly going to change, and we live in a world, or we might live in a world where, like, Five mana is going to deal three damage to three things, or even at four mana, and you're like killing two two twos or whatever. Like, that's still a good deal. Maybe it's like too big of an ask, both for legendary stuff and uh, like XRR, but I don't know, man. Like, this seems like a pretty good kind of mirror breaker. And then, like, this with Jaya in the add RRR, man, you just go ham. I was going to say, you know what super surprising card you may want to play with Jaya's Emulating Inferno? Actual, actual yeah, Jaya. Jaya. Weird. Yeah. So that was a nice little call out to Jaya. Yeah, maybe this is just good enough. I don't I don't know. I could be undervaluing this. I, I do think that the hoop of the legendary creature of Planeswalker is again being a little underestimated right now. There will be times where these cards rot in your hand. Yeah. And you're not able to play them because your opponent has, you know, answered your planeswalkers. It sucks when you're getting beaten down and you're relying on the immolating inferno to bail you out and you're just like, nope, can't cast this. So I don't know. I, I'm a little low on all of these cards for the time being, but I could I could very much be wrong. It's a new card type, and new card types are very difficult to evaluate. It's it's a cycle of mythics that key well, off hold of on. legendary things. What? Are they not mythics? I, I don't think we know that authoritatively. Oh, okay. Because we're looking at mock-ups right now. We're on like yeah, a, yeah, a non-official yeah. spoiler site. Yep. Um, so I, I don't think we know that authoritatively that they're mythics. Yeah, it will... Uh, yeah, it didn't list like the numbers or the rarities of the actual cards. Okay, so regardless, they are at least rare, I would assume that. Yes. Okay, so they are a cycle of legendary sorceries that care about legendary creatures or planeswalkers in a set with a bunch of legendary creatures. If these were not playable, I think that would be a giant fail. Do you remember the last time we made this argument? I, I know, the- I know, <laughs> I'm just saying... For those who maybe just joined our podcast, we also said the same thing about dinosaurs in Ixalan. And we said there is no way that after all this time and finally dinosaurs come to the game that they weren't going to be standard playable. Hey, man, the dinosaurs have 5 would multiple standard leagues. Just saying. They have. Maybe their time is, is still coming. Maybe we're about to enter the dawn of the dinosaurs. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I, I view Immolating Inferno as a card that is like a kind of mid-range mirror breaker. Maybe you play two of, you know, like that's kind of what these cards feel like to me, but whatever. Okay. Kamal's Druidic Vow, XGG, Legendary Sorcery. Look at the top X cards of your library. You may put any number of land and or legendary permanent cards with CMC 
X or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest into your graveyard. So Genesis Hydra, way harder to cast, no body attached to it. A lot of kind of hoops to jump through before you actually get to put the cards into play. I mean, you get all, you get all of them. So it's like Genesis Wave. Okay, Genesis Wave. I'm sorry. But much worse, Genesis Wave. Although at a discount of, of one mana. I guess if there's a theoretical deck you can build around this where you're not going to have misses, I don't know what that deck looks like. But that's where I'd want to play this. I'd be very concerned with potential misses. I don't know. I'm thinking about like casting this for four, six mana. I, I don't think you can afford to gamble at that point. I think you really need to get paid. Um, what is it like if you're casting it for three? It, well, it's, it's probably very difficult to put everything into play. So right, and I don't know. Yeah. So like you cast it for four, so six total mana, and you have to hit things that are CMC four or less. So it's like yes. you need to like X is five or X is six this to like actually get a big return. And like I don't I don't feel like a, a small like value vow is really going to get there. Right. So it, it just it's dependent yeah. on what there is to make mana. You know, like these sorts of cards were good with Nykthos and when you could like kind of ramp into the six mana Garrick and stuff like that. But like ugh, right. this 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 seems pricey. Yeah, very pricey and and very limited. So there has to be like like this is a potentially constructed playable power level, but it's about what is around it and, and what options do you have to what legendary permanence do you have to put into play? Um, what mana producers do you have? All big questions that I think we don't have answers to. From what we've seen so far, I would be very surprised if this card finds any success. But you know, we don't have the whole picture as of yet. So. Yep, Benalish, Marshall, Dub Dub Dub, three three, Human Knight, other creatures you control get plus one plus one. This cycle is rad, and this card specifically is rad. I believe, and I don't think I'm the first person to guess this because I feel like I read this somewhere somewhere else. This is a call out to maybe Devotion coming back sometime soon. You know, they've talked about returning to the Theros plane. Um, Interesting. You know, maybe this is setting the stage because I, I think all of these creatures are at least interesting some of them are straight up really good benelish marshall I'd, I'd put in the really good camp craig wesco will figure out this card and you know we all know that we don't have to worry about figuring out the best home for benelish marshall that's his job um, and we get to just lean on him for that yeah you you said return to theros and devotion and i just kind of like threw up in my mouth a little but uh tempest Jin. U U U O four flying. This gets plus one plus zero for each basic island you control. So assuming you're playing all islands to cast this thing, it is a three four at least. That rate seems mm-hmm. very good. Obviously, very concerned about being mono blue, but I mean, if if there's like a Delverish deck, like I'm in. Right, or we're just casting like Thassa again, right? You said you love devotion and are excited no, to play no, with that I mechanic. No, I did not say that. I did and not maybe say Master that. of Waves. Those type of cards are going to be really oh. impactful with Tempest. <laughs> I just, I just lost very badly to Master of Waves last night. Too soon, man. <laughs> Next one, Goblin Chain Whirler, RRR, first strike. When this enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to each opponent, each creature, and Planeswalker. <laughs> they control 3-3. Three, three. We- weird card, good against small creature mirrors. Yeah, uh, Mono Red Mirror, this seems like a very good card. Um, and it could just kind of hop right into that already pre-existing deck. Um, maybe not in huge numbers. There's a lot of competition for that slot. But at some point, it wouldn't surprise me if Chain Whirler is the, re- the correct call. Steel Leaf Champion, GGG, Elf Knight, 5-4. This can't be blocked by creatures power two or less. Wooly Thoktar is always a miss. I disagree here because there's another card in this set, which kind of speaks to this card. 
maybe uh, finding a home. Is it Llanowar Elves? It's Llanowar Elves, yeah, which is Llanowar Elves makes everything better. That's not that's not a good I know, argument. I know, I understand that, but like a turn two five four is certainly good enough for a constructed. I, ah, I understand what you're saying. This also comes with an unblackable clause. That's something that Wooly Thoktar has never had. This is infinitely easier to cast than Wooly Thoktar. Just passing on this card because of some past failures of the body size is not fair. I think this is bringing some new tools to the table and is coming with some very powerful friends that honestly, I never thought we'd see in standard again. I thought that was it for one mana ramp creatures. And I, I said it may be the most shocking inclusion in the entire set. Yeah, I think um, it is too. So the can't be blocked clause is relevant. I was just thinking about this thing, like getting chumped or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. Like it does actually have to get removed. And I don't, I don't remember exactly how good the removal looked in this set. I assume that most of it was not on the FAQ because it's not very confusing or whatever. So yeah, uh, it, it depends on what removals in the format, right? If, if people are playing Vreska's Contempt and Harness Lightning in a braid, like maybe this is good, but then you're, Mono green, but then again, two mono green decks did 5-0 uh, standard leagues yesterday or two days ago, so whatever. Right, and you know, there. if you look at current removal, Fatal Push doesn't line up great against this, a Braid doesn't look great, Vraska's uh, Contempt you're trading down, so I, I, I think against currently played removal, this is a fine card, but you're right, there's a lot of stuff we just don't know right now, so yeah. we can we can hold off some judgment. Alright, I'm gonna rattle through some reprints real quick. Gaia's Blessing, awesome. Love it. Love it. Amazing. Thorn, Thorn Elemental, awesome. Verdant Force, pretty cool. Skizik, love it, but like Hazaret's in the format. What the hell? Like this, this yep. is so mean. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> Goblin Warchief, Siege Gang Commander. That's that's cool. Very cool. I wouldn't mind seeing some goblins, you know, floating around the format again. Also, I wonder about rarity shifts of some of these cards. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen. I think Thorn Elemental is probably an uncommon now. Ooh, interesting. That's that's a sad day. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Lanowar Elves we talked about, and those were all the reprints that were kind of grouped together. Uh, next up, we have Knight of Grace, one dub, Human Knight, first strike. Hexproof from Black. This gets plus one, plus oh, as long as any player controls a Black permanent 2-2, two, two, and then there's a flip side Knight of Malice. Hexproof from um, Black is so bad. I hate it. So you don't like it from a design perspective is what you're saying. It's like offensive. I, it, it's just like so wordy and like, I, I mean, I get protection is just awful, right? But like, is right. this the best way to do it? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's uh, ugly. Protection has a lot of clunky problems. And I don't think the protection mechanic is particularly good. Um, and I think this is an attempt to call back to Order of the Ebon Hand, um, Order of Leaper, Black Knight, White Knight, those, know, that man. style of card. I know. And they just didn't want to do protection and rightfully so. But I do get your complaints. It's very wordy, certainly less powerful. But I, I do appreciate the callback to the classic black and white knights of magic. Love the callback. Hate Hexproof from X. That's all. These cards are rad, though. Merfolk Trickster, UU, Merfolk Wizard, Flash. When this enters the battlefield, tap target creature and opponent controls. It loses all abilities until end of turn 2-2. Two, two. Uh, this card's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of it yet. I mean, I don't think this was the piece of the puzzle that Merfolk has been missing up until now. But, you know, more Merfolk will always help that deck. It's definitely missing pieces as it stands. This doesn't strike me as the thing that pushes Merfolk over the edge, though. Maybe Wizards. Wizards are also uh, a very relevant type in this format. 
Yeah, wizards are cool. We'll get to that. I, I was I was not thinking about standard because of the prohibitive mana cost, but it does seem like something that could start showing up in modern. Okay. All right. Dub costs two dub, uh, which I don't know. Oh man, this card name. Enchantment Aura. <laughs> Enchant Creature uh, gets plus two plus two, has first strike, and is a knight in addition to its other types. Cool, whatever, flavorful. Any words? Dub is the weirdest card name in the history of Magic. It has to be. Yeah. Uh, the Antiquities War. 3U Saga. Uh, one and two are the same. So ETB and your next draw step. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact card from among them. Put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And three is artifacts you control. Become artifact creatures with base power and toughness 5-5 five, five until end of turn. So possibly... Another sort of artifact rewards card. It is weird that this kind of like sits on top of Karn at the same mana cost. I think they're going to find very different homes. And I think this card is actually pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. Maybe to the point of seeing modern play. I think it was Ari Lax who wrote about this card in the context of Affinity. And kind of drew an analog to Tezzeret. Now Tezzeret is extremely difficult to cast out of affinity decks, but this is a sideboard card. I kind of like it. It's a little slow, uh, maybe a lot slow, but you can see how in slower pace post sideboard games, a deck like affinity could really benefit from having a copy or two of the antiquities war in its sideboard. Yeah. And it being an enchantment is actually kind of helpful. Like obviously sometimes you run into the same type of hate, but like if it's very targeted hate, like, uh, kind of Kataki, Stony Silence type stuff. like Ancient Grudge, yeah. Yeah, Ancient Grudge just like falls short, you know? So, yeah, I, I could see this seeing play, but like, whatever, man. Like, what about Standard? Um, too many unanswered questions right now for me to evaluate yeah. this card what, in Standard what, context. What artifacts exist? Am I trying to marshal the machines with them? Don't know. I think we're going to see a lot of artifacts be revealed as the set goes on. I think there's interesting artifacts already. There may be some artifact-based decks floating around out there, but kind of too hard to say right now. This tough card to evaluate without seeing the rest of the format. For sure. Uh, Chainer's Torment, 3B Saga. One and two are, this deals two damage to each opponent and you gain two life, so Soul Feast. And then three is, make an XX Black Nightmare Horror Creature Token where X is half your life total rounded up. It deals X to you. I don't like this card. Nope, I don't think this is constructed playable. A little underwhelming. Maybe the most underwhelming of the sagas that we've talked about thus far. Actually, definitely the most underwhelming. Dauntless Bodyguard. Dub for a human knight. As this enters the battlefield, choose another creature you control. Sacrifice this. The chosen creature gets indestructible until in a turn. It's a 2-1. This card is also kind of ugly. It reads as like overdeveloped to me, but I love it. Fixed veteran bodyguard, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's 2-1, so it's a little bit better. But it is super awkward that it only protects one thing. It's weird that you have like a lot of tracking for like this thing that you can't indicate somehow. It's very strange. Mm. Gonna gonna see play. I think so. I think it gets a few points by being good in both the early and late game. I don't think it reaches back to modern. Uh, the format probably has to look a little different. But you you could see potential post board applications where you're like really keen on protecting a meddling mage or or things like that. I just think there's probably better uses of your slots. Yeah, Burnt and Forge Tender typically does the same job, but better. Yeah. All right, Blink of an Eye, one U instant, kicker one U, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. If this spell was kicked, draw a card. Into the Royal is back, baby. 
Yep, totally playable card. Uh, you know, it didn't see huge amounts of play last time it was in standard, but definitely a constructed playable rate. I played it way too much, but that's because it was good and no one knew. Wizard's Retort, one UU instant. This costs one less to cast if you control wizard, counter target spell. There is also Wizard's Lightning, 2R instant. This costs two less to cast if you control wizard. This deals three to any target. Uh, so you have Counterspell and Lightning Bolt in Wizards, assuming you have Wizards on the battlefield. Adelie's the Cinderwind, 1UR, Flying Haste, 2-2. When you cast an instant or sorcery, Wizards you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn, and Legendary Wizard. So uh, three mana, 2-2, two, two, Flying Haste, and Fake Prowess, pump your team. So we're kind of pointing to a Delverish deck based on those cards that are, that's actually getting to play Counterspell and Lightning Bolt for its investment in uh, in the Wizard Tribe. Obviously, we need to see some cheap Wizards, some very cheap Wizards. An effective one-mana Wizard would be a game-changer for the archetype. Sage of Epitier, let's go. Uh, I've played it at a Pro Tour before, happily, so <laughs> maybe I'll get to again. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to be the thing that pushes these cards forward but these cards have the look again i'm i'm so like scorned by dinosaurs at this point but these cards have the look of something that is supposed to make its way into constructed i think we might just be missing some of the pieces right now and i am curious to see what they are because obviously wizardy type stuff tends to be the type of magic i love to play so i mean yeah i want to see i want to see what's coming getting to play Maybe not actual counterspell because the mana is kind of tough. We do get the enemy check lands, which is awesome. And I'm super happy Mm -hmm. about that. But stuff like Wizards Lightning, where it's like maybe you don't even need a ton of like wizard stuff. You just need some. And that is probably good good enough. enough. Yeah. Maybe. So I'm pretty excited about that. And then if you give me like a blue red beatdown deck, okay, cool. I'm in. Yeah, the raid on something like Getsu Journey Mage isn't awful. Uh, if it enters the battlefield and you control another wizard, it do- deals two damage each opponent as a 3-2. Uh, that's probably pushing it a little bit for Constructed, but it's not miles away, I guess. I, I just feel like there's a lot we haven't seen with this tribe yet. That's that's my guess. Yeah. Uh, cards I like. Varix Bladewing, 2RR, Legendary Dragon, Kicker 3, Flying, when this enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, create Karox Bladewing, a legendary 4-4 red dragon with flying, and it's a 4-4. So it's 4-mana 4-4 flyer or 7-mana 2-4-4 flyers. So the new Broodmate Dragon is yeah. what we're calling this, right? Yeah. Dude, it's rad. I remember Broodmate Dragon. It was a, a dominant standard card. Obviously, it kind of fits with the new mold of magic that we've talked a lot about. You have to have value as you come into play. Um, this card does that as well as offering you like a fail state, a kind of safety valve in case your mana has not gone well. It seems constructed playable to me for sure. I, I think this is a card which we'll see uh, adoption. It, it is cool, but again, there's like Hazaret, Rekindling Phoenix, Chandra. Like there's a lot of competition in the actual four slot, but mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Yeah, might have to wait a little bit for it to see its time. Um, you know, that could be a lot of what we're looking at right now is these are cards that have to... Just wait for this kind of busted set to get out of here. It'll it'll be a little while. You know, Scarab God's not going anywhere for a little bit and probably is still going to re- remain the premier threat in the format thus far, based on everything I've seen. Although there was a great Scarab God answer. Maybe that'll be my my going away card. Let me find it real quick. I think it was a, a black card that kind of excited me. Do you like Deragaz reincarnated? I have to find it. Is that a multicolor card? Uh, it's, it's four plus Jund. So seven mana. Yeah, Legendary Dragon. Right. Seven, seven. Flying Triple Haste. 
if this would die, instead exile it with three egg counters at the beginning of your upkeep, remove an egg counter. Then if it has no egg counters, return it to the battlefield. Look, I, I want to like this card, but in <laughs> in the age of Raska's Contempt, I don't think this is realistic, unfortunately. It, it is it is sweet, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to say it's a great card, but it's probably not, unfortunately. Agree. Oh, this was the card I was looking at, which I, it's a saga, and I think this maybe is quite possibly constructed playable. The Eldest Reborn. Its first step is each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker. The second step is each opponent discards a card. And the third step is put target creature or planeswalker card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Now, all of those on their own are certainly not worth five mana. And there's a lot of matchups where one and two are kind of going to be liabilities. You can't be playing this card against something like mono red. But if this card was available right now to me, and I could bring it in in post-board games against Grixis or blue black mirrors i would 100 percent be bringing this card in um, and i think it would be having a huge impact on the game yeah no this, this card is definitely sweet it is one of those things that just seems like a pretty good mid-range mirror breaker right and dude it's also sick that like the reanimate goes off after you've already paid the investment and you've gotten some value out of it so if you are reanimating like a scarab god or something like you get a use from it Right, and you can you can see the difficult position it's kind of forcing your opponent into because like normally you'd be like, oh, I'll just discard my redundant copy of the Scarab God. Not right. anymore because I'm going to take that Scarab God. You know, it also kind of speaks to the jam Scarab God on five theory that a lot of decks kind of cop to. Uh, it's usually a very successful play, a very high percentage play in standard to run your Scarab guys out there and force them to answer it because if they don't, you may just run away with the game. Um, and that gambit's going to be tempered a little bit by the presence of the Eldest Reborn because if they just play a Scarab God with no other board presence and you play the Eldest Reborn, their game is going to uh, get real bad real quick. Yeah, yeah, I could totally see that. Uh, we have a Mox, little Mox Amber, zero mana legendary artifact. Tap, add one mana of any color among legendary creatures and planeswalkers you control. I think I'm smart enough to know there's no such thing as a safe mox at this point. This feels safer than most, and I'm totally prepared to eat those words and be completely wrong. And this card is just like off the charts good because safe moxes are tough. They're, they're very difficult to design. Maybe this will prove to be just good enough. Well, maybe you have like two drop legendary and then this ramps you into like a four mana thing. It is weird that it doesn't start paying you until you actually get on board a little bit. But mm-hmm. it just, just kind of is what it is, you know? Still a zero mana ramp spell if your deck is set up to take advantage of it, and that's pretty powerful. I mean, there are some decks where you would just have 24 or 25 land, and you should just cut the 25th land for a Mox Amber, right? Right. I could see decks that very much would benefit from that. So then it's like, all right, well, what is the most busted thing you can do with this deck? And then you try and build around that. It's Is it is it carry Zev and maybe some other two mana Red Legend, if that exists, into... Chandra and Rekindling Phoenix and all that nonsense, right? Hazard, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's just good enough. It, it's really hard to say. Again, I think this is a card which is going to demand some play. The, that kind of sequence of play sounds pretty good to me and pretty frightening. But then obviously there's the games where it carries F dies and a Mox Amber is rotting in your mono red deck's hand and you don't get to do anything with it. That's really problematic. So, And then you sheepishly uh, pitch it to Hazred on turn seven or whatever. Right, right. That's your best case scenario. So it, it's hard to say if that's the inclusion spot. Uh, I'd want a little bit safer fail state. Maybe something like Baral paradoxical outcome. That Ooh. piques my interest a little bit. I mean, Baral, Baral's a good wizard, dude. 
Oh, he is a wizard. Okay, some interesting stuff there. Get your brawls, folks. Get them. Wheels are turning. The wheels are turning. Yeah, and you'll get to do the loot if you get to use the uh, the wizard counter spell with Baral. How exciting! What a great piece of synergy. <laughs> I mean, you don't you don't get to uh, have it cost one less twice, unfortunately. No, unfortunately, that, that would be the bee's knees, but not happening. Uh, a couple other artifact quick hit, quick hits while we're here. I think we're going to end up coming back and, and doing a second show on this, but yes, absolutely. I would be remiss to not talk about damping sphere. Oh yeah. So this card is is the real deal in terms of flexibility. It, it's certainly worse than other spells which have similar effects. It's not the best Tron hate card ever printed. It's not the best Storm card, hate card ever printed. But the fact that it does both, this may see wide adoption into modern sideboards. I do think it's worse than people are anticipating because you can still kind of, as a Tron deck, very successfully develop your mana base and then just uh, nature's claim when you're ready to do your thing. And that's a little problematic. But in terms of Stormhate, it, it seems very effective to me. It'll, it'll just do the job unless they find their their hate card. Uh, and I guess you'd say the same about Tron. If you don't eventually find the nature's claim, then Damping Sphere is going to keep you from playing your game. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, effectively like a Blood Moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very similar thing. And, you know, the same outs apply where you could still find your Oblivion Stones and you, you've you added the Nature's Claim. Well, I guess Nature's Claim isn't out in either case. But you get what I'm saying. It, it, it still allows you to develop your board pretty successfully despite the fact that it's in play. Yeah, uh, I, I do like that it consolidates lots. And it kind of sucks. Right. It kind of sucks that it is not a threat, you know. So like you said, they can just continue building up until they find their answer. But it is, it's a two mana piece of hate against Tron. Like that alone is pretty sick because, you know, most that of the- every deck can play like that. That's the slam dunk. And it, right. with sideboard efficiency too, not giving up your slots that you would usually dedicate to like combo decks, because this is going to do a very fine job of hitting your ad nauseums. In most cases, it may not actually be great there now that I think about it, um, but definitely hitting storm very effectively be good against ad nauseum right because it's like they they have to play two cards so it makes their like their second piece of the combo unless they start with unlife if they go grace nauseum nauseum costs six and then the lightning storm costs lightning five storm. yeah so you, you really can't go off in that circumstance because if you play any other source of mana you're still you're, you're making the dampening sphere go even further right so yeah i, I think it is good i've i i built uh White Red Death and Taxes, that was one of the decks I was playing with last night. And uh, looking over the list, like a lot of people had like two Megas of the Moons, one Eidolon of Rhetoric, one Aether Sworn Canonist. And like, granted, this does not clock them. This is not a thing that you can protect with like Burnt and Forge Shender or whatever, but it does save you sideboard slots. And you're also asking a, a very different response, right? Like usually what those decks want to do in response to your Death and Taxes deck is more removal, um, you know, maybe Pithy Needles or something like that. Well, now you're demanding Artifact Hate as well. Yeah. So that's a bit of a wrinkle to throw into the mix too. Yep, yep, yep. Oh man, this set is so cool. All, like so, so many of these cards, like it It seems like this is just like a full block. Like this is this is like three sets worth of stuff. What is happening? Well, it is, right? This is this is the first set under the new kind of model where this is all you get. This is it for Dominaria, right? There's no second Dominaria set, am I correct? No, that is correct, but it is weird to me that this is like three sets worth of playable cards. That's what I mean. Like right. that aspect right. of it was not supposed to change as far as I know. 
Well, I mean, that could be kind of an unintended unintended effect of putting a lot of mechanics uh, out there all at once and, and having a lot of build arounds because usually you kind of slow roll a lot of this stuff and, and maybe the timing for that hasn't quite been sussed out yet. That's why I really do believe those those three mana cards are, are prints for the next set because I think you're going to have to see a lot more of that going forward and a lot of conscious planting. Not that it doesn't happen now, but I, I do think there'll be more going forward. Yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of weird to have monocolored rewards in sets with like, you know, Jeskai things and Sultai things. And I feel like you basically want people to build around the legendaries because you have like, you know, the legendary sorceries and stuff like that. But I don't know, maybe it's nice to throw the other people a bone too, but yeah, I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know. Short of Llanowar Elves, I don't see any other card in the sets that are pushing you towards considering those three colored cards. So that's really the strong point for me pointing that these are, these are going to do a job somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I mean, I could see it. I I do think that uh, like the white one is certainly just like generically good enough. And like, obviously mono reds a deck Tempest gin. I don't know. It's like, is, is that playable? If it is cool, but whatever. Yeah. We haven't seen the black one yet. So hard to say there. Yeah. And then planeswalkers are all pretty rad. I'm super stoked for Karn. I want to play with Karn. I want to play with all of these cards. Well, uh, you know, we can't, so we'll just have to wait, play modern in the meantime. Okay, that's a, that's a fine compromise for the time being. All right, deal. Sign us out. Oh, no, uh, question, 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 question. I keep question. trying. To- I mean, I, yeah, I'll, I'll never let you succeed, but you can keep trying. That's fine. I called it on myself. Ooh, what about Rat Colony? New Relentless Rats? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't think so. No, obviously not, but I'm just saying it's a sweet callback. Uh, you just want the callback? Yeah, I, I think this set is loaded with sweet callbacks. I, I, I love what they're doing here. Liam wants to know, do you play Magic quote unquote, for fun, cube formats where you don't have a tournament to prep for, or do you always try and have a goal when you play Magic? I basically don't sit down to play Magic and I'm like, oh, let's let's have fun, or like, this is what I would choose to do for fun, which is kind of weird because I spend my time doing that a lot with like other games, but generally even with the other games, it's like, you know, I'm trying to figure out what deck is best. Like, if there's like a Shadowverse deck or a Hearthstone deck that is just by far and away the best, I will typically just stop playing. I won't sit there and like grind it because I enjoy playing it, you know? So I guess I am basically always trying to learn something and cube doesn't really provide that. So I, I cubed a lot in the past and very, very infrequently now. Like I don't think I've cubed on magic online in like the last four years or something. Same, not a cube guy anymore. I, I used to cube back in the day. In general, my answer is no, but there are a couple formats and a couple kind of, I guess you'd call them side games that I do enjoy playing, usually between rounds of tournaments. We play, between me and my friends, we play the stack quite often. If you're not familiar with stack, it's basically um, a bunch of cards and you draw a seven card opening hand and you can then play your card face down and tapped as a utopia land or a card face up as a land of any... It's a basic land that produces all the colors that the card is. And then you kind of just play the game from there. So it, it's basically playing, I, I guess you call it kind of a sealed deck magic um, with no lands involved. And the stack that we've used for a long time is one that the Boston guys kind of came up with at first. So it was like Adam Snook and Matt Costa and Dave Shields used to play it all the time. And I've been playing with a derivative of that stack for a very long time. So I like that format a lot between rounds. And we've been recently using the stack to play Pygao as well between rounds. So I don't know if these count as as magic for fun, 
but that's basically my dalliance with casual non-tournament formats. Other than that, I'm testing for tournaments. Those are the only really two exceptions to the rule. Yeah, I've I've played a lot of PyGao. I don't think I'm going to play very much now. It is basically just like I introduce it to other people to try and spread joy to them. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a cool thing, especially for just like killing time between rounds. It's kind of the perfect filler, especially if you're at a Canadian GP where they throw all the packs at you because of the Canadian laws. Uh, yeah, you're just set up to play PyGao for the rest of the day. So yeah, no, that's fair. I, w- I went to Vancouver a few weekends ago, stayed with a buddy of mine, Jeff Fong, and he has. He's very serious about his battle box. Okay. This is the one where it's it's kind of like cube-ish. You play one-on-one. You start with five cards, and then uh, your lands are five basics and five guild gates. Yep. I've played the format a bit. Yeah, okay. So he, he just he wanted to see like me and Majors fight each other. He wanted to fight both of us. And I'm just like, dude, I, I just really don't want to play. But like I indulged him a little bit, you know. <laughs> I, I was his Did guest. Have- I was his guest. Right. You had to be a good guest. Did you have a particular objection to the format or again, just like why there's nothing at stake here. I, I so just, why am I playing? I don't understand why we would do this thing for like an hour. Cause like, right. you know, all the, all the cards are like two for ones or whatever. And it's like, they just go on for forever. Yeah. The games never end. And it's just like, okay, if I, if I get like bad cards or, you know, he just beats me anyway, he, just, he was just like talking a bunch of crap and just made it like very unenjoyable. <laughs> it's like, dude, I don't even want to do this, you know? Nothing worse than being taunted while you're forced to do something you don't want to do. Yeah, yeah, it was it was not great. So yeah, I'm kind of with you. I've played a little battle box. I think it's fine. Again, it's just like I, I'm never going to. This sounds weird. I don't know why I phrase. I'm never going to make a play date to sit down with someone and play battle box all day. I'm fine with doing it between rounds and kind of keeping myself in the zone a little bit. But yeah, not really much of a for fun player at this point in my life. Yeah. All right, man. Sign us out. Ooh, and also every week from here on out, I expect you to have a different legendary Dominaria name. What? Really? Just like straight up from the cards? Like you don't want creativity? I just have to choose which legendary Dominaria creature creature I am going to be that week? No, you're just like, okay, today I am Rata because I am the Grand Warlord and I did this. Or I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm trying to help you out because you're being lazy. Okay. Trying to give you a little inspiration. I guess I I said if someone complained and asked me to bring back the names, I would. You are the only person who has complained, by the way. No one else has at all missed that. All right, all right. Well, since no, since I got a complaint, I'm a man of my word, and I will be a different legendary creature next week. Nah, man, my my complaints don't count. It's fine. (laughs) Okay, this is the last chance for anyone who wants to rally and take Jerry's side. This is your last chance to save the names. That's game.